2: Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and I'm grateful you're with me again this week. And speaking of gratitude, I appreciate the new clients who took advantage of my 20% discount offer in July. It's a pleasure and an honor to receive your trust and to be able to help you on your healing journey. Today, after the break, we'll be talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel about easing the end-of-life transition by setting up a means of communication with loved ones that will take occur after their death, but setting it up before they die. In my first few shows, we talked a lot. Um, about the death of loved ones and healing those relationships either at the end of life or even after death. Our conversation with Bernie on that third show was a catalyst for those continuing discussions. And as I shared with you at the time, they led to a profound healing of my relationship with my father who passed away 36 years ago. It was a long time in coming, but thank God it happened. And sometimes it never does. So I'm grateful, truly grateful for that incredible healing because not only did it change that relationship, it changed everything in my life because everything is connected. It's all tied together and everything that we heal from the past and the present influences everything, including our present, future, and past. Today I'm going to talk about some other spiritual experiences that I've had with my family members and friends before and after death. If you have a personal story to share or a question, please call during the show to one eight six six four seven two. Five seven nine five. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine five. Or email now or between shows to DR, that's dr. DR Paula Joyce at gmail.com. And the phone number to call between shows is one two one four. Seven, three, six, four, four, six, zero. That's one, two, one, four, seven, three, six, four, four, six, zero. We can use the end of life, as Bernie says, to change. And this often means facing the tough issues that we were not able or willing to face when we thought we had a long time left to live. My mother's dying was an experience that can only be understood as spiritual. As if we both sensed that she would be dying soon, we had a reconciliation exactly one year before her massive stroke. After years of emotional abuse, I finally confronted my mother. We were cooking, and again I got to hear how I couldn't do it right, which meant I didn't do it the way she did. Something had finally changed within me and I said to her, we have to talk. I walked her into the den and found words coming out of my mouth that I didn't think I was capable of saying. I told her that she was emotionally abusive to me and that probably her mother did it to her too. I was totally unprepared for her response. She cried and said she never meant to harm me. That was a turning point, and I will never forget that moment of truth and togetherness. The rest of her visit was rocky because she then went into old patterns of shame, guilt, shutting me out with silence and sulking. The universe, however, provided an experience for us that opened up communication again. I took my mother to the art museum to see a Chihuly exhibit. The beauty and joy he conveys through his art with glass broke open my mother's heart. She was like a child playing in a sandbox. I had never seen her having so much fun. On the way out, we saw a black and white photo exhibit of coal miners living in abject poverty. Her mood shifted, and for the first time, she told me stories of the trauma She experienced growing up as a Jewish girl in Poland and surviving the pogroms and anti-Semitism. That led to her sharing with me the pain she experienced when cooking and baking with her mother. We ended her visit with a level of intimacy and authentic healing communication that we had never experienced with each other. The next time she visited, we had so much laughter that my oldest daughter stayed home from college an extra day. She had never enjoyed her grandmother so much. That turned out to be a true blessing since it was the last time she saw her alive. When my sister and I got word that my mother had had a stroke, we both flew to be with her. Her doctor was so devastated that he couldn't even tell us the severity of her condition. My sister and I, believing that my mother would get well, interacted with my mother for three days and were in full communication. She made her wishes known and she answered our questions with looks and facial expressions and gestures. We assumed she was getting better until we ran into the speech therapist who told us that my mother was showing no signs whatsoever of receptive or expressive language. We told her what we were doing to elicit communication. So she tried the same things and got no response. At that point, we we requested a CAT scan, which confirmed the therapist's experience. My mother was not going to recover. But during our days together, we had come to a new relationship. The three of us were together as siblings and mother and as a triad in a way we had never been before and experienced healing in a profound way. We were participating in a miracle that science could not explain. The fact that both my sister and I were witnesses to the experience confirms that it happened. We couldn't both be imagining the same things at the same time. And then when I realized that the situation was hopeless, I released my mother and told her that it was her choice as to whether to stay or leave and when. It took my sister another full day before she could let go. During that time, my mother totally ignored me and focused all of her attention on my sister. I was devastated until months later, I realized that by releasing my mother, I effectively ended our our relationship in this life. I told her we were complete, and she acted on my word as if we were complete. She and I were done. It was as if she had already passed on in terms of our relationship. So mom focused all her attention, all of her attention on my sister so that Gail would release her. At the end of the day, Gail finally told our mother that it was okay for her to go when she was ready. The two of us walked out in the wrong direction because they had moved mom out of ICU into a new room and we were disoriented. So we had to turn around and go back past her room in order to leave the hospital. We stopped in for a last good night. And I said to my sister, I never noticed before how much mom looks like her mother. Our mother died that night. And I believe with all certainty that our mother that her mother came to help her transition from this world to the next, which is why we saw our grandmother's face when we looked at our mother. Our grandmother was there in spirit. I will never forget the power of that experience and the beauty of it. So much can happen at the end. Of life. It can be a transformative experience for everyone if we allow ourselves to make use of it and to be fully present with the person who is dying, to say the hard things and to feel the difficult feelings. The fact is that reconciliation and healing can occur even after death. Both Bernie Siegel in The Art of Healing and Larry Dossi in One Mind talk about this. Both are medical doctors, well-grounded in science and fact, and both document the validity of such experiences. Recently, I noticed that my granddaughter's photograph kept falling on the floor, She was born about a month after my sister died, and my son and daughter in law did her the honor of naming the baby after her so that her photo, so that that particular granddaughter's photograph was falling, was significant. I'd pick it up, and it would fall on the floor again. It had been there for a couple of years without falling, so this made no sense. Nothing had changed. The fan was the same. Everything was the same. And no matter how many times I picked it up, it had wind up back on the floor. Then I had a dream about wanting to visit my sister this summer. I woke up excited until I realized that she was dead and I couldn't go visit her. Then it hit me. She wants to talk to me. So I called my friend and teacher, Dwan Washington, who's a psychic healer and medium. As soon as I scheduled an appointment with him to channel my sister, the photographs quit falling on the floor. My sister conveyed her message to me through Dwan and then said she would let me know when she wanted to communicate with me in the future by flickering the lights or doing something with the electricity. And she did. The next time she wanted to talk to me, the vacuum cleaner mysteriously turned off the TV and other electrical problems that couldn't be explained kept happening, and again the photographs were falling on the floor until I realized sooner this time that she wanted another session. So I'm getting used to her new way of calling me. By the time my sister came to me, I had already had a number of experiences that prepared me for recognizing that she wanted to channel something through to me. After my mother passed away, several years before my sister, I noticed that the lighting in her photograph would change. When I would look at her, the photograph would be normal. And then as I focused on her, her cheeks and forehead would grow lighter and brighter like someone was shining a flashlight on the middle portion of her face, but from inside the photograph. Lest you think I was imagining this, I would show this process to numerous friends, all of whom described seeing the same changes in light that I did, without my telling them beforehand. To me, it was my mother saying hello, and telling me that she was okay, and that she was watching over me. I found it very comforting. It's like her spirit is talking to me through her photograph. When my closest friend Gay passed away, similar strange things happened. Her husband, who didn't believe in anything spiritual, was shocked to discover that her wedding ring kept moving during the night from the dresser to the floor or some other odd place. Since he was the only one in the house at night, the movement was unexplicable Explicable, unless he believed that she was doing what she had promised, and that was letting him know that she was okay. And since Gay introduced me to the spiritual realm, I wasn't surprised when her spirit walked past me in my home months later just to remind me that she was still with me teaching and guiding me. I've also had experiences with people who have come to me in the middle of the night asking for help and crossing over to the other side. I no longer find this startling. Often spirits get disoriented and confused when they're transitioning. Now I simply tell them to turn around and go toward the light. And these people aren't always family members or even close friends, but are people who we have a close spiritual connection with, either because of a past life or just because they can feel our spirit and know we can help them. I feel blessed to be able to help in this way so many beautiful experiences are available to us when we open ourselves up to the possibility of life after death and communication between the realms of heaven and earth which brings me to telling you about today's guest Dr. Bernie Siegel he was my third guest at the very beginning of the show and has graciously agreed to return and talk about his how his patients ease their end-of-life transition by preparing to communicate with their loved ones after death. Bernie is willing to talk about things that few, few physicians are. He retired from general and pediatric. And I, and pediatric surgical practice in 1989 and has since dedicated himself to humanizing the medical establishment's approach to patients and empowering patients to induce their own healing he founded exceptional cancer patients to facilitate self-healing it isn't surprising that he he was named one of the top 20 spiritually influential living people. Bernie's best-selling books include Peace, Love, and Healing and 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. He's a sought-after speaker on patient and caregiver issues and author of a new book, The Art of Healing. You're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula The Life Doctor. And if you're enjoying our program, be sure to like us on Facebook. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Bernie, as he likes to be called.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek Greater Awareness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear host, Simran Singh, will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network, 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens.
3: Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session.
1: You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit.
2: I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the life doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And I'm so pleased that we're here with Bernie Siegel, who bridges the gap between the spiritual and the medical and shows us how they are not opposing fields but intricately intertwined. And I have much gratitude to you, Bernie, for not only being on this show but also for all you've given me through your teachings. You have through your writings and your CDs, although back then when I used to listen to you initially it was – tapes, (laughs) but, but I just, you helped me change and grow, open my mind and change my life. And I'm truly grateful.
4: Give yourself credit. Um, You know, people can hear my lecture and say, that was boring. I've heard you before. And the next one says, thank you. I'm so inspired now. What's different is the person uh, and not the lecture. And I as crazy as this may sound, I always say I look for people who think I'm wonderful and inspiring because I know it's within them, and I'm simply bringing it forth. So, you know, as I've said to you before, I see myself as a coach who can present things to people, but if they're not going to show up for practice, it doesn't matter how good I am as a coach. They're not going to accomplish anything but the people who are willing to listen and participate and learn. And a lot of it, I may add, a quote from a patient. My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. This was a woman who as a child was dressed only in dark clothing so nobody would notice her. And her mother told her, you know, you embarrass me, you're a failure. I mean, I know even worse than that, where parents have committed suicide and told their children to commit suicide. Mm. I'm helping the one person in that family who survived, and she has become my teacher, you know, finding spirituality and letting, as she said, love into her prison. And that's the thing that I've realized, that if people don't grow up with love, they are in deep trouble. Because up to the age of about six, due to your brainwave patterns, um... What your parents say to you, and other authority figures, I mean, a teacher could be destructive, a religious figure, um, you are hypnotized by them. So, you know, think of growing up as that young woman did, you're a failure, you embarrass us. I mean, she had to get a life-threatening illness to buy a red dress, and I mean that literally, and, and reclaim her authentic life and not the one the parents created. Because when you're pleasing everybody, you lose your life. You're not living your life. And one study that was done of Harvard students, because, again, I'm always saying information doesn't change anybody. I don't lecture what's good for you and what you should eat and how much exercise. I'm trying to inspire people so they will then look that up. But in this study of Harvard students, they were asked, did your parents love you while they were in college? And then they were all looked up 35 years later. Those who said my parents didn't love me, 98% had suffered a major illness. Those who said yes, 25%. And I'm constantly reading. It drives me nuts in the newspaper. All the politicians who want to raise, you know, the cost of sugar drinks. You know, that's not going to change anything. Uh, You've got to get on, you know, television and say, I love you, everybody. If you need a loving parent, I'll be your parent. Now, take good care of yourself. You know, that's what the message needs to get out there, not making cigarettes more expensive and anything containing sugar more expensive. Uh, That doesn't stop people from being self-destructive. But if you can reparent them, get them to feel loved, you know, know that you're doing it for the right and healthy reasons. Um, then they're more likely to stop killing themselves because all the addictions, and I mean this literally, are a search for feelings that they never had in a healthy way. So food, alcohol, drugs, it's all a search for something. And again, they're not stupid people. They know it's not good for them. Then why are you doing it? And again, it's the feeling they're getting from this artificial substance they try to fulfill what they never had in a healthy way because if you grow up with self-worth and self-esteem you take care of yourself because you're worth something and uh... you know it all evolves and i saw this as a physician uh, the opposite of love because often people say fear and hate no that's not the opposite of love the opposite of love is indifference rejection and abuse And so when I would see people in the office who were self-destructive, and I mean that literally, um, I would always give them return appointments because they were so used to rejection that, and, and from doctors too, you know, you're not filling your prescription, you're not doing what I tell you, don't bother to come back. See, that was like mom and dad again. And I would say, I'll see you in two weeks and give them a hug. And what I noticed three, six months later, they began to take a bath, you know, wear clean clothes, stop being self-destructive, and change to a new life. And one example, I'm I'm smiling about it every time I think of it, so i got to share it with you. In our waiting room, we had a sign that said, no smoking. This was years ago. And um, I opened the door for the next patient. And she has lit a cigarette under the sign that says no smoking. <laughs> and I look at her and I just bust it out laughing. Now, what is she expecting? You know, the doctor to yell at her. What are you doing? Can't you see that sign? What's wrong with you? Um, and instead, I burst out laughing and said, well, it's obvious you're looking for attention. Come on in. <laughs> and and she looked at me like, oh my God, he knows me. You know what I mean? I mean, nobody had ever treated her that way. And in she came and we talked. And from then on, we had a connection. And she began to take care of herself, they, rather than getting thrown out of the office again, uh, because of what she did. And that's the part, as I say, I learned. Uh, and I repeat this. It meant I loved them. It didn't mean I liked what they were doing. So, again, I could be a coach, whether it was with my patients or kids, and tell them that that's not safe, that's not good, you shouldn't do that. But they knew it was coming from someone who loved them and who cared about them, and they were a lot more likely to listen and one more thought, and I never stop talking because one thing leads me to another, <laughs> but it's you know when you think about the opposite of love, see you 're rejected. What do you want? Revenge and those are the headlines we 're reading all the time. You walk into a school, you walk into the place you work, you go home and kill your parents um, they're they 're seeking revenge, and of course, then they feel guilty. And the majority of them either killed themselves or are killed by the police at the same time. So if everyone grew up with love, you wouldn't walk in with a gun and kill strangers or your family because you then have a reverence for life. And I saw this with our children. We always rescue. Well, the way I put it is our home was a zoo. I mean, and we do not live on a farm. <laughs> An acre and a half with fences <laughs> containing goats, ducks, geese. You know, in the house, everything running around, veterinarians giving us exotic pets when people didn't know what to do with them, and we would rescue them, and we have five kids, so a lot of people here taking care of these creatures, and I see it now as they've grown up. They care about life, and they try to help every species to survive, and it's such a wonderful gift for a parent to know that their children care. And I don't have to worry about them hurting somebody because it's not a part of what's in them. They're here to rescue creatures, not hurt them, and not look for revenge, but look for ways to give love.
2: That's beautiful, um, really beautiful. And, and you, you mentioned off. Line um, before you came on that your um, rescuing animals has to do with a past life. Oh, yeah.
4: You know, you were talking about some of that and communicating with the dead, you know, previously. I had a patient, I didn't know it, but she was a mystic. And she came in the office one day and said, Well, I've learned you're not a normal doctor, so I have messages from you from the dead. <laughs> and she would tell me their name. And then spoke the way they did. In other words, using their language. And I would call their families and tell them. And even when my parents died, I was very good friends with Elizabeth Kubler Ross, helping me, again, as a doctor, deal with the pain, the loss, things we're not trained to do, because I became a doctor to help people. Then I realized you can't cure everything. People die. And uh, but anyway, Elizabeth. And when my parents died, and this. A friend of mine, Monica, doesn't know them, doesn't live near us. She called me on the phone said, oh, your parents are together again. They're being shown around by somebody who likes chocolate and cigarettes. Oh, it's Elizabeth Ross. She's showing your parents around. Now, that blew my mind, you know. But, again, I've learned when you quiet your mind, that's when this kind of communication happens. But to jump back to what you were asking, I mean, part of why I'm different is what I've lived As a four-year-old, there were carpenters in our house. They put the nails in their mouth. You know, they would take them out, bang, 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 take the next one out. I'm in my bedroom. I have a toy telephone. I take it apart, and I put the pieces in my mouth imitating these guys. And I aspirated them, and I was choking to death. And I won't go into all the details, but I had a near-death experience. And it was the nicest thing in the world because it is very painful to choke to death. I can tell you that. I can still feel it. Um, and when I left my body, I'm four years old, remember. I don't know a thing about this. To me, it was like, okay, this is what happens when everybody dies. And it was just a wonderful experience. I can see. I can think. and These are things that we know and can verify today. And I was very upset when I didn't die. <laughs> I always laugh when I say that, but, you know, when you're four years old floating around the room, uh, it's a great feeling. And uh, I was upset that my parents would find me dead, but I have no desire to go back. And when I did end up not dying, um, because the, I always say, the kid on the bed, what was me, had a convulsion and vomited, and the pieces came loose, and he took a breath, and I got sucked right back in yelling, who did that? Who did that? Because I had decided to be dead and somebody screwed up my plans. Um, and it, wasn't days, not, not it wasn't your about, time.
2: It wasn't your time. Know?
4: When your mother comes in and sees you covered with vomit and toys and pieces and knows you know what happened, you don't have a wonderful conversation with your mother <laughs> about this experience. And then years later, see, I, I well, The point being that I didn't seek out any of these things. I'm on the telephone talking about how busy I am to a friend, various lectures and traveling. And she said over the telephone, why are you living this life? I went into a trance. And I said to her, oh, my God. She said, what are you talking about? What's the matter? I said, I have a sword in my hand killing people. And I went into a trance. All I can say is it was like I was watching a movie of me, you know, of my life. And it was, I was sobbing, the grief, the pain, because I killed a young woman. I killed her dog because my Lord the lord of the castle had said to me, I want you to kill the neighbor's daughter. He's causing me a lot of trouble. And when I said, what if I don't? You know, why don't I kill him? He said, you don't do what I'm telling you, I'll kill you. And I went and did it. I sought therapy. The Jungian therapist, James Hillman. I found him. He said, come, I'll come here. I'll, I'll talk to you. And when I started telling him the story, he said, Bernie, stop. You're using the word your lord. I said, "Yes, yeah, the lord of the castle. He said, Bernie, it's more than that. You need to understand who your Lord is. And that's when it really hit me, because I said to him, yeah, I'm always questioning Abraham, Jesus. Why did they let, you know, why did they say, yeah, I'll kill my kid? Why didn't Jesus jump off the cross? But they had a Lord they had faith in and didn't want to be separated from. And that I had to define who my Lord was, that I could have faith in. So when they said, yes, you know, go kill the neighbor's daughter, I would have said, yeah, sure, I'm going. And what I learned was if I had said that, he would have said, no, I'm just testing your faith. I don't want you to kill anybody. I want you to go and bring them here so we can resolve this. And I will tell you this secret, too. The woman I killed in a past life, I am now married to. And that was to bring our families together and resolve all the problems. But when I saw myself killing, it really struck me. Here I am as a surgeon. What am I doing with a knife? I'm helping people. I'm not killing anybody with it. Why is our house a zoo? Why do we have all these creatures? You know, everybody with a name, basically running loose. I had trees in the kids' bedrooms. So various (laughs) lizards, chameleons, different things were living in the trees. In their bedrooms. I mean, you can't believe what this house is like. Yeah, before I would put on my shoes in the morning, I would look for eggs to make sure, you know, that uh, I didn't crush them. Uh, And uh, and that's how bizarre it was. But I realized you're still making up for the pain of the past, that you're trying to rescue everything. Um, Yeah, I've learned you can't rescue everything, but you can care for everything that comes into your life. And uh, when you care, you know, compassionate and show them love, um, then, yes, it rescues everybody in a sense. So my other term that I mentioned, uh, you know, one was life coach, but the other was love warrior. I was reading an article saying you can be a lover, you can be a warrior. And I thought, why not combine them and use love as your weapon? And I love doing that. And I suggest that to anybody listening, when somebody's driving you crazy, and I don't care if it's a parking lot at the supermarket, you know, where they want the space you took, just lower your window and say, I love you. Or to abusive parents, say, I love you every day for three months, and they don't answer you. But after three months, she was late for work, ran out of the house, and the parents were in the street screaming, you forgot something, What I forget, you didn't say, I love you this morning. And then they all hugged and cried together in the street and it healed their past. So be a love warrior and it's amazing. Um, And it's fun too, because I said, when somebody's yelling at you and you say, I love you, (laughs) they don't know what to do with you. (laughs) And then when you pass them again on the street or in some store somewhere, it's like, oh, here he comes again. But, you know, it breaks down the walls and things begin to happen when you start doing that. And you feel better. Just the way I'm laughing as I talk about it. Yeah, if I had said, no, I'm right, you're wrong, and start screaming at somebody, I don't feel good about it later. But I've learned that when you use love, it benefits you and the other person. And uh, they begin to learn the power of it.
2: it's a powerful sword to cut through, uh, the, the garbage, um, because the yelling and, and the anger is always a cover for pain. And, and, um, like you were saying, you know, not feeling good about ourselves and all of that. So that's a, that's a, a beautiful place for us to, to end right. this segment and then to hopefully you can stay with us and come back and talk some more because you have so much wisdom and such a unique perspective right. and a willingness to engage in experience, life experience. Right. In I a would way say,
4: that- you know, that we're all here to rehearse and practice. And I think of people like Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa. You know, you have role models, or Lassie. I always tell people, if you don't know what to do, say, what would Lassie do? You know, that (laughs) that we have people we can imitate and practice and rehearse until we become the person we want to be.
2: Yes, and I'm glad that four-year-old boy vomited out those pieces oh, and didn't move on. <laughs> so we'll, we're going to go to break now, and we'll be back in a few minutes with Bernie. So thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the life doctor or life coach, which I am, and you are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. We'll be right back with Bernie.
0: The 7th Wave Channel on
3: The Voice America Network. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session.
1: You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit.
2: If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the life doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And we're here with Bernie talking about Dying and the afterlife and healing wounds um, as well through love. So the topic always is a broad spectrum (laughs) when when Bernie's on. So please. During break, we were talking about um, healing from abuse and the wounded warrior, and you wanted to share something about yeah, there's that. There's a
4: wonderful story by Thornton Wilder, the pool at Bethesda. An angel trouble, you know, stirs the waters and heals people who get into the water when they're there, when the angel's there. And everybody keeps going there, hoping the angel will be there, and, and a doctor keeps going. And when the doctor shows up and the angel's there one day, the angel, however, stops in front of him and says, not you, you draw back. And the doctor says, what are you talking about? Just because I'm a doctor, I can't. And the angel says, no, without your wound, where would your power be? It's your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men, the very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only the wounded soldier can serve, draw back. And on the way home, the doctor realizes the truth of the angel's saying, because as he's walking down the street, just heading home, people open their doors and are shouting at him, Come in here, you know, our son only talks to you. Come in here, our daughter's in the dark, we'll only talk to you. And he realizes the truth of the angel's statement. And I've seen this too in my life that, and I tell people, I say, look, put a bandage over your eye. And then go to work, go to school, you know, go out shopping. What happens? This is a quote from one woman. Everyone in Stop and Shop asked me what happened. She had a bandage over her eye. Everyone asked her what happened. Why? Because she's got a visible wound, and they know if they talk to her, she'll understand their pain, their wounds, and something therapeutic will happen. I shaved my head many decades ago, and people knew I had a problem. I mean, I've learned why I did it subsequently. Um, but I didn't understand why I had to do it when I did it. Um, but people knew I had, you know, problems, or I wouldn't have done it when the guys were wearing their hair down to their shoulder. So <laughs> at the hospital, they literally lined up to talk to me. And I thought, yeah, they know I'm dealing with something. They're not afraid of talking about what they're dealing with. And I may add, part of it was the journey we're all on. Yes, one dying friend of mine started calling me Journey instead of Bernie. What What? a message he gave me, yeah, that we're all on this journey. And I realized that the shaving of the head, what needed to be uncovered was spirituality, the way monks do it. And Jung discussed that in a story. When I read that, it was, oh, thank you. Now I know why I did it and what needs to be uncovered and it has amazed me ever since how everything i do ends up being classified as spiritual instead of medical i mean my books and other things um, when i think of it as a doctor writing a medical book and when it gets categorized you know to get prizes or in different ways I have to look under spiritual to find my book. Because if I look under health or medicine, it's not listed. And uh, I'm flattered by that now. I'm not upset by it. But it, it was a way of people giving me the information about what they were seeing in my work and getting out of my words. That was the spiritual message. But again, these universal themes is the way I put it to people. If you come across something... Many times, you know, from many sages of the past, uh, know that that's true. It was interesting because just as you were talking, you know, before I came on about messages, and I did too from the dead and others, what I realized in my, the latest book, The Art of Healing, in dreams and drawings, that's where the unconscious can speak to us. You know, the collective consciousness can speak through that symbols, And um, so that's when I began to get into dreams and drawings with patients as well as my own and realize and find things, again, from Jung and others, that dreams were interpreted and diagnosed physical illnesses. And I've had patients, yes, tell me that, too, because, again, I would ask them, did you dream? Do you know anything? Um, and the information was incredible. And a lot of doctors thought I was nuts. But Because, again, it's never a part of what they're told about in medical school. I've never met a doctor who's been told that Carl Jung diagnosed a brain tumor from a dream. I would say every medical student should be told that. So you talk to patients in a different way. But by doing it in the hospital and having people do drawings, it changed Everybody, because they saw the truth in them. It wasn't me giving lectures and trying to convince them. They saw what the patients had drawn, and then it became very interesting. And we even ended up with a coloring book in the operating room that kids would, you know, fill in first before surgery because we would get information from them about themselves and their lives and their bodies and be able to use it in caring for them. And um, but again, the closed mindedness, I just say to people, keep an open mind. If you experience something, even if you can't understand it, why it happened, you experienced it. So it's true. Don't say I can't believe it or I can't accept it. I would hear from doctors. It happened. Believe it. And that's why I became a storyteller. So I didn't get into arguments trying to prove statistical validity one psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins, uh, Caroline Thomas, years ago, much like that study at Harvard. She had medical students draw pictures of themselves and fill out a personality profile. And she looked them up decades later. And she said, Bernie, I could tell what diseases they were going to get, what part of the body they were going to get it in. Based on their drawings and the personalities. And what was his name? Bruno Klopfer, psychologist. He was given personalities of a group of people with cancer. And I think 24 to 27 times he was able to predict from their personality who would have a slow-growing, who would have a rapidly-growing cancer. Three times he said, I can't tell her, you know, he was wrong. But that's the part and why I began to do support groups, as one woman said, I need to know how to live between office visits, so I started helping people to live, so I wouldn't feel so much pain. Um, you know, if I couldn't cure their illness, I could still help them to live. And then what you notice is, if you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to. I mean, I have so many stories, and with and so many of them are humorous because people go to the mountains of Colorado to die, buy a house on the ocean in Florida to sit on the porch and, you know, to die. And <laughs> I'm laughing because I called Colorado to say, how come I'm not invited to the funeral? Because I told the family to call me when he dies. And the man answered the phone. This is a year later. And he said, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I am I called really bitter and resenting that they ignored, see, my feelings in connection with him. And he answers the phone. And those are the things I began to realize. You know, like Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Why? Because of your attitude. See, your body doesn't see death as the worst outcome. So you hate your life and hate your job. Your body says, I'll do you a favor. We'll get you out of here. And what's his name? William Soroyan, the author, at the end of a story about a... Uh, poor and starving young man, uh, it ends with these words. The young man dies and becomes dreamless, unalive, perfect. Now, where he got that from, I don't know. But I'd say it's his unconscious, his intuition that knows the truth. And he said it. They become perfect again. And that I can guarantee everybody. When you leave your body, you're perfect again. Because people born blind to have a near-death experience see when they have an out-of-body experience. And like me, I, I know of some who, who were so angry when they didn't die because they had sight and how beautiful the world was. Yeah. and. Uh, and-
2: And and that's a a perfect note for for us to end on because um, we're running almost out of time. So I I just want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and perspective with us and for giving to me and my audience so much.
4: Let me close with this because I love that sentence because I always talk so much. Everybody always tells me we're running out of time. We're all going to run out of time. So enjoy your lifetime.
2: <laughs> thank, you. thank you. That's great. And thank you for joining us today, Bernie, and my listening audience for Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And if you all enjoy today's show, like us on Facebook you can do that by going to my website, PaulaJoyce.com, where you can also get more information on my services and the books our guests have written, including Bernie's The Art of Healing. I hope you'll join us next week when my chiropractic friend Aldo would talk with us about his multifaceted approach to successfully diagnosing and treating health problems. Until then, as Bernie has told me to say, and he described the research in at the beginning of his um, interview today, that triggered his telling me to close this way. And so, this is my standard closing. This is Dr. Polly, your CM or chosen mom. Remember, you are loved.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit seventhwave.network.com.